Hello and welcome to the unofficial, unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show, where I am 40 plus degrees Dan, and Sarah is minus 40 degrees Sarah. How are you, Sarah? <laughs> I'm minus 40 degrees, apparently. I'm good. It's worlds, Dan. Oh, worlds. Oh. Oh, I, I, it's so strange and it's so weird and it's taking up all of my time and it's really good time zones for the Australians. Congratulations. It's terrible time zones for the Americans. Commiserations. <laughs> no, no commiserations. Welcome to what it's like the rest of the year. Fuck off. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, whatever. You've got one week of races where it's at an unfortunate time deal with it i had to get i had to get up at seven o'clock in the morning the other day. oh I'm my god oh wow the word yeah just for everyone playing along at home when sarah means it says get up she means she had to roll over and open her laptop and stay in bed so... no because i have a rule that we don't have laptops in the bedroom <laughs> except for swatch races but not in that time yes anyway be too... anyway 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 world's dan world's dan dan world's world's dan we're going to talk about world we're going to talk about what's happened so far the good the bad the ugly we've got um all sorts of interesting things we've got Pooley, emma Pooley on british cycling we've got some supercross we've got some sorry some cyclocross we've got some bmx we've got some mountain bike lots of mountain bike we've got the secret pro Yes. We've got um, really, really bad news. Actually, should we start with the really, really bad news and get that out of the way? Well, yeah, and also because it's, you know, it's pretty significant news. So, yeah, I think I think we should start there. Uh, some uh, unfortunate and sad news came out during the week. Um, yeah, um, one of my favourite bike riders is Sharon Laws. She, if she's a British rider who started out as a... Well, she was working um, in different African countries where she started doing adventure mountain bike racing and had various she won the first um uh, ever uh absa cape epic wins race and then she moved to australia and um started road racing to as a way to get some to get in cup to get to make some friends in melbourne she's worked as an environmental consultant she's worked for the united nations in kew gardens and all sorts of people like that She's uh, had this great bike riding career difficulties with british cycling because of course um various big crashes but she was going to retire at the end of last year and she got this plan to um to to do more environmental consultancy and to lead mountain bike tours and to learn spanish and to go cycling around south america and all sorts of things like that but she's just found out that she's got cancer mm. and she found out because she'd had a cold for a year and eventually they biopsied her lymph nodes and found out that she got secondary cancer in her lymph nodes and her primary cancer is cervical cancer. But she says, basically, she's starting chemotherapy, but it's treatable, not curable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, is very, very hard and unfortunate news. And, um, you know, our best wishes to Sharon um, as she undertakes and treatment. Her, and especially to her mother, Joy. I mean, Sharon's this incredibly positive smiley intelligent mm. warm lovely person like she's one of the first riders i ever interviewed and she's always a super friendly person she's always got yeah. this huge smile and you know if you want to send her a message she's sharon n laws on twitter and i'm sure she'd appreciate the support she's you know it's really hard and yeah. i love our love and our thoughts with her and her family and friends and loved ones absolutely absolutely so yeah, that was a that was a really bit of um, sad news to to come across during the week. Um, 
you know, and um, it's it's never never a pleasant thing. But um, at the same time, you know, I I try to remain positive and um, and hope the treatment goes well. Anyway, um, as you as you said, it's the well we're halfway through basically the week of worlds, and um, there's been a, yeah. lot, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I guess in chronological order, we want to talk about the sheer skull fuckery of the heat. Um, <laughs> yes. Now, I wanted your opinions on the heat, Dan, because so the first thing that happened was a team time trial, and the team time trial was pretty uncomfortable to watch, actually. Um, so it's it was in over 40 degrees heat there were only eight teams racing the team time trial i think we talked about this last week that basically it costs somewhere between 20 and 40 euros for a team to come from europe and race the team time trial what with travel and and hotels and stuff thousand sarah means 20 and forty thousand. Oh yes, yeah, sorry. Did I? Sorry, I missed off the K off the end of it. Yeah. Now we talked before a couple of weeks ago. We talked about um, how the men's teams had fought to um, had 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 pretty much planned to boycott the worlds, and the men's teams definitely getting some money, and the women's team. I think they were getting five thousand euros each to go towards that cost. But of course, if the men's team, you know, the cost is the same for the men and women because mm. it's still six riders. But as a proportion of the budget, it's huge. So. For example, Orica AIS, who'd won two silver medal, I think two silver medals in the TTT before, um, weren't racing. Uh, yeah. Lots of t- lots of teams, you know, basically only eight teams. I mean, part of that as well is what you win. We've talked about this before. You don't win much. Some of your riders get to win a badge if they stay in it. So it was basically going to come down to four te- four big teams: Balls Dolmans, Canyon Shram, who Canyon in their former iterations had won every each of the four team time trials before Bors Dolmans who really wanted it and who were pretty much looking like the strongest TTT squad of the year Rabo Liv who either have meddled or had completely horrible accidents in previous TTTs and Cervelo Bigler Um, some people went to 2016 with the domestic American team and they were going out there to to, you know they had really big plans to win but to be honest I think they were never going to do that well but they started off and they were clearly doing really badly because you could see almost from the start riders suffering, you know, visibly suffering. Yep. And at the end of their run, they were coming in. It's the fourth rider across the line whose time it goes on. And as they raced along the, the finish line, one rider just couldn't keep up. She was just she was visibly vomiting on the bike and and just and kind of just falling all over, you know, wibbling all over the place and just couldn't could you know had to, had to finish. And um. And then, and that was just the start of it. You had Mika Kroger, who's an amazing bike rider, who German bike rider for Canyon Schramm, who was, after the long straight stretch, looked like she was wobbling from side to side and nearly fell off. Yep. And then we had Anuska Costa, who looked like she literally passed out on the bike for a few seconds because her head just went down. She just went straight into the side of the... She just she just veered off the core, off, off the side, hit the side... Summer spike and person somersault crashed. Tried to get up to carry on riding, crying, screaming because she was rider four. Stood up, fell over, stood up, fell over with her mechanic Semper Sage from Rabo Lip, who had done the most incredible jump out of the car to get to her. Like, like yep. literally, he was there. So when she fell, he was there to catch her. You know. Yeah. But yeah. It was just, and. 
the problem with the heat, yeah, it was just awful. Like, yes, awful. it is. It, and it's absolutely awful. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not just awful, it's genuinely dangerous. Um, and, I mean, yes, I'm aware that there's a lot of racing that happens um, around the world during summer and in all sorts of countries and, and in lots of conditions of heat, none of which has any bearing on the simple fact that in heat... Um, of over 37 degrees, it's fucking dangerous, is the technical medical term. Um, yeah. And, and that's really what it is. I mean, I, I just want to read briefly, because in Australia, we our summer becomes intense enough that a lot of our organisations that involve um, staff who do manual labour actually have to have health policies related to the conditions in which you can work in the heat. I have worked mm-hmm. jobs where, um, for example, um, when the temperature got to 35 degrees, um, I had to be paid um, maximum overtime to continue working. Um, once it reached 38 degrees, I wasn't allowed to work. Um, and bearing in mind that we're talking of temperatures for this time trial of um, you know, 38 to 40 plus minimum, and also bearing in mind that the average human body temperature is 36.5 to 37.5 degrees. So we're talking about a latent environment that's literally hotter than your body is, i.e. it's physically impossible to cool down. That's actually something that's really important to remember. So, for example, uh, just to provide a few basic Um, guidelines uh, from the Sydney Department of Education, for example, between 30 degrees and 35 degrees moderate or light manual work is appropriate. Light work is only appropriate at temperatures between 35 and 38. When the temperature exceeds 38 degrees, consideration should be given to ceasing all outdoor work, let alone writing a fucking team time trial. Now, secondarily to that, from the same document, definitions. Heat exhaustion is a serious condition that can develop into heat stroke. A person with heat exhaustion may complain of weakness, nausea, and or giddiness. The person may look pale and be breathless. The skin is usually wet from sweating. Heat fainting occurs when blood vessels, particularly in the legs, dilate in order to increase heat transfer to the skin and cause reduced return blood flow to the heart. This response temporarily reduces blood flow to the brain, which can cause a person to faint. Heat stroke is a medical emergency caused by a rising core body temperature. A person suffering heat stroke becomes confused and may stagger or collapse. Call an ambulance and apply urgent first aid. I think, for me, it's basically impossible to read those three definitions and not recognise that that's exactly what was happening in the team time trial. Mm. And so, to anyone who's like, harden the fuck up or whatever about it, I say... With all due love and respect from one human being to another, get fucked. Because, mm. you know, I, I'm not necessarily willing to criticize anyone for competing in that environment, but I, I don't think that it is fair at all to take anything away from the extreme circumstances of that environment. And the one thing that I do want to be critical of, the thing that I'm really least impressed by is the length of time some riders had to wait, some teams had to wait to get medical attention for their riders. Oh, that was shocking. I think, yeah, I mean, Roxanne Knaterman, one of one of the things that's interesting about this is, 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 is sometimes when you see complaints, you only see complaints from the teams that haven't won. 
you know mm. like teams so you know you see you see complaints from the teams down the bottom end of the thing and you think oh hard but this is a thing where uh where you've got like obviously rabo live were very 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 upset but roxana yep. kanateman was on dutch tv and nl talking to a reporter where they could see riders lying on the floor with no medical attention saying there's no doctors here there's no ambulances here we haven't yep. got any support and I saw I saw reports of some riders having to wait fifteen to twenty minutes just to get looked at by someone, um, which, yeah. in my opinion, is just completely unfucking acceptable. And no, no, and and, and this is worlds. This is worlds in the yeah. most ex- in an incredibly and, one of the richest countries in the world. They've got the third biggest gas and oil reserves. And Qatar also, is incredibly wealthy. And also, when you coming in, that it was going to be hot. This isn't a freak weather event. This isn't something that took us by surprise. So no. it's it's just completely unforgivable, in my opinion, that there wasn't resources on hand waiting to to assist with what was very clearly going to be. I mean, and it's a fucking time trial. This is literally the event in which riders push themselves the hardest for the longest. Like, but it's also it. But it's also something where you wear, you're on an aero bike, you're on an aero helmet. Yep. So that's not getting you're not getting any wind rushing through you. You know, through your vents. If you're wearing things like, um, uh, so there's some people on the ITT saying they weren't wearing overshoes, for example, because that was just too hot. Yeah. They were just, you know, but, and, and the thing is, is some people go, oh, well, you should just ride to the conditions. Oh, you know, you should, you should spot what's going on and stop it. But I, I mean, I'm ridiculous. I've got heat stroke in much, much less condi- bad conditions than like that. I'm just, I'm just physically, um, what's the word for it? I'm, I, 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 it's the sort of thing that's likely to happen to me because of my physiognomy. And, you can't you can you know you're drinking the water you're staying in the shade you're wearing the light shirt and you still get heat stroke yep and, that's and alone being on a bike thing. i think it's it's hard to explain if you haven't experienced it but you know it, it's it, there's a whole reason like i said that, that we have guidelines and laws and union contracts and things that cover this sort of stuff because it's fucking dangerous and you know, it's not fair to put the onus on riders who want to compete, who only have this event in which to compete, to somehow not compete as hard as they would just because yeah. of the temperature. No, that's not an answer. And and one of the, I mean, one of my other things is like David Miller, for example, saying, "Oh well, you know, we start the Vuelta in much worse conditions." But the thing with the Vuelta is you've got a, you've is you've got you've got a lot of medical support. You've got doctors on motorbikes you've got ambulances you've got you know you've got lots of support so and this is what they didn't have and you yeah. know but like i was saying i mean you, you, christina majerus um from was 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 especially angry about this yeah. um you know and, and she's just won she's just won the race she should be super happy all of the balls dolman's riders said something about it yeah. you know it's not a case of oh hard feelings it's a case of even though we won and we worked really hard to, to do it and we you know we, yeah. we've been training in saunas and we've been you know setting our bikes up in ridiculously yeah. hot places we've been out here for a couple of weeks to, to to acclimatize which they can do because they're wealthy team yeah it's yeah. it's it's just yeah anyway yeah, exactly. So, I mean, sigh. Um, but, oh my god, I've just have you just realised I've damned the results. I was going to try to do results really well. It's really exciting. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. So Canyon Stram yeah, with a fast literally, split. Literally everyone who listens to this podcast has been waiting for this podcast to find out who we are. <laughs> so. Yeah, so Canyon Stram started out as fastest um at, at check one, which was a surprise because I mean it, well it's not it's a surprise because while Canyon Shram won all three, all four previous things, a lot of their big riders who were part of those in, were in 
Bulls Dolmens, and they had more riders who'd won golds in Bulls Dolmens than they did in Canyon Shram. So, uh, you know, Evelyn Stevens had won three golds. Ellen Van Dyke and um, uh, Caroline Cannewell had won won two golds, and Lisa Brenauer had won two golds. And and oh no, sorry, not Lisa Brenauer. I've completely got distracted then. Um, but all these, you know, Chantal Black had won one gold. You know, they've got all these riders who are really good, and it's. It's just they they were going to so it was going to be really exciting. But the thing is, is that last year, um, Canyon Shram also well Canyon Shram and its last thing is, is last year Shram had been um, had also like lost a lot of the big riders. And every year, every year Ronnie Lalka, the DS can make can make it work, like yep. could turn it around. But this year he couldn't. This year, all Solomon's won. Yeah, yeah. Kenya second. I mean, Rabo had lost two riders on the road already when Anuska cra- Anuska Costa crashed, and I still can't believe that Costa was allowed to get back on her bike and finish the race. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but it's also absurd that like um, you know the team was risking a DNF because of the two riders they'd already lost, and if Anuska hadn't, you know, they. I mean, this is where this is where at the UCI event. You'd expect that the UCI has the discretion, and for once, I wouldn't berate them for being willing to adjust the rules slightly to suit the conditions. See, to me, that's the appropriate response. Right. Um, so, so you say actually, today we're going to go on rider number five, or today, we, or no, sorry, rider number three. Yeah, because. Yeah. This, because it's extreme and we don't want exactly. people to carry on with and, yeah. And yeah. to me I mean forgive me if I'm absolutely batshit insane for saying this but I would have thought that the governing body of the sport might put rider safety first I mean I, I don't know I'm not a professional sports administrator so maybe you're not supposed to give a fuck about your athletes but <laughs> but you know there's, there were also cars on the course oh Good God, this is my theme for this world, is cars and motorbikes everywhere they shouldn't be. So cars, so there are cars on the course. Um, so in her, in her, in her interview, um, Chris, in her thing, Christine Amaru said, um, what does she say? Let's grab the thing from the, grab the quotes here. She said, I'm happy we're all okay. The second thing is on the final lap, there are cars in the roundabout, motos in the roundabout. I'm happy we can stay focused through every incident. Usually these sort of things that can cause a loss of focus and loss of time. It wasn't a perfect day and a perfect time, blah, 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 blah. So there were cars in the course and motos in the course. In the under-23 men's time trial, there was this horrific incident where the guy who was leading um, an ambulance for some reason, was overtaking him in the corners and in the roundabouts and literally nearly took him out. Like, you've got this thing where he's riding and he's got to get and he's got to get ahead because he knows that if he doesn't get ahead of his ambulance, he's going to get squashed by it. And he's literally riding for his life. And some of this is because... So, Worlds is here because Pat McQuaid, in one of his last actions as UCI president, um, announced that Worlds would be here in Qatar. And the reason they're here in Qatar is because of uh, the Qatar wants to have the Olympics. They've got a fuck ton of money and they will give the UCI a fuck ton of money to have Worlds here. Some people are saying, blah, 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 it's about globalisation of the sport. But I want to point out that there haven't been any Qatari riders in the race. Like there's been yeah. none in the women's race races there was and there were supposed to be two junior men starting the it junior men's itt yesterday but they sorry um yeah uh, yesterday but they didn't start so we're not talking about an area where 
we will get on some positives soon if you just think we're rancing i promise um they're not just talking about this being this isn't like something like um actually we're a global market and um yeah. china's got this growing 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 cycling growing cycling thing it's, it's not thing. like for example chong ming hosting worlds which you know yeah would at least make sense because there's history of growing a thing there and teams being there and riders being there you know or rwanda or or rwanda or tokyo or or fucking thailand or argentina or you know there's there's no shortage of international destinations at which worlds can reasonably be hosted that make more sense yeah i mean uh, the other thing the other thing that's been very interesting is because it's so hot part one and part two because there's no cycling culture in qatar Qatar. well well, i mean who the fuck wants to go cycling when on a warm day it's 38 degrees like but it's completely they've been riding through completely completely empty spaces Mm. uh sports uh the belgian tv channel reported that there were 253 spectators at the end of the t- uh, the ttt was that and some of the press? no no that's that that's not including press i think there's been more press than there have been yeah. spectators yeah. and people were talking about at the start ramp there's been like you know five sets of families mm. and a whole load of staff and there's no and and so they're literally it's like it's this, this extraordinary landscape it's all on the pearl which is this man-made island um man-made island reclaimed from the sea and part of it is like done up with these amazing Blade Runner style, you know, uh, big towers. They've got a fake Venice on yeah. on the island, yep. but part of it is completely dead and empty, and it looks very post-apocalyptic. And that's because part of it hasn't been built yet because they're getting around to it. But also, when they first built it, they were going to allow alcohol to be sold on the island. Mm because it's banned except for in certain hotels and licensed retailers and only to be sold to non-Muslims yep. in, in the rest of Qatar. But And so they, they said, okay, now on the Pearl, you'll be able to sell alcohol. But then in 2012, they stopped that, which meant there has like been like this big beach resort that was supposed to take up a good chunk of the island, yeah. which worked just stopped in 2013 and hasn't started again. So you're going from these places which are, you pass a park which has that, weird middle eastern thing of grassy park where the grass is being you know basically watered every 25 minutes because it's an unnatural landscape then you're going past these amazing these big big tower blocks and then you're going through these post-apocalyptic landscapes of like just just you know building sites and no one around like literally not a soul it's like the day after it's like they're riding through the aftermath of the zombie apocalypse hmm so it's not even so you're kind of sitting there going so we're going to worlds we're not bringing cycling to a fantastic you know last year in richmond for example i was talking on twitter with people who had never got into cycling before but but you know cycling but the world champions were in their town so yeah. hey can you tell me some more about this sarah and i had some amazing conversations with people and you know they're like yes this is fantastic wow wonderful you know I went to Copenhagen and 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 saw people, you know, where, and that was fantastic and wonderful. And even on days when there weren't that many people out, it was still, you know, people cheering at every yeah, spot. Yeah. But this is just this is like cycling. There's more. You'd see more people if you were just out on an average trading ride. Yep. Yep. Well, so, on an average trading ride, not in Qatar. Not in Qatar, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and it's very, it's also particularly interesting because apparently the sun is reflecting off the, you get the heat from the sun 
on top of you, in front of you, reflect, and then bouncing off the pavement. Yes. And apparently which, it's very disorientating. Which I should point out, actually, because this is the other great thing about thirty-eight sustained 38-degree temperatures, is that the, the reflected heat off the bitumen is, on average, roughly around 80. So, you know, a low oven setting. Um, yeah, fucking really comfortable. Yeah. Anyway, so Ball Stormans won. Uh, uh, Canyon Shram was second. Savello Bigler were third. And even before Rabo's uh, and Isla crash, it looked like, I mean, we don't know what would have happened in that. But it looked like, I mean, congratulations to Savello Bigler because they they targeted it, they wanted it, they got a medal. It's the yeah. first time they've raced the TTT. They really, really wanted it. And yeah. Um, really good racing. I do, and I am gutted for the riders who worked so, so hard to get those medals and to really give us a really good show and to give everything, give everything. I'm gutted for them that it's been overshadowed yeah. by no heat. Oh, there was no there was no air con, you know, in the tent where you're supposed to sit yeah, and wait yeah. at the end. There was which, no air con in the tent at the end. Which, again, batshit insane and incredibly poor planning. I 100% guarantee you that whatever room Brian Cookson was watching it from was air-conditioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, except a whole lot of journal- journalists couldn't get there because, oh, anyway, disaster. Anyway, so that was a TTT. Amazing racing. Fucking hell. We shouldn't be having this in, in Qatar. What the fuck? Mm. Anyway, Monday was the ITT, the Juniors Women ITT. And you know me, if you've listened to me before when, I, when, when I'm talking about junior racing, I get very emotional about this. Well, you know, you love... Look, you want to be a happy, hopeful person at heart. So you love believing that there's um, there's hope for humanity and joy to be found in the future. Um, so juniors are important to you. They're important to me because... And I've said this before, forgive me if you've heard this before, but for a lot of these riders, they're, 17, they're 16, 17 and 18 years old. They've, they've they're, they're in that time when... Most of their peers are kind of, you know, getting jobs, getting Saturday jobs and learning to drive and thinking about going to university and, you know, um, having serious relationships and stuff like that. They're in that kind of they're they're going from being a child to being an adult. And these juniors are giving up an absolute fuck ton for cycling. They're giving up a lot of that. You know, they're not like going out. They're not going out and partying with their friends and they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're getting up and they're doing their schoolwork and they're working really hard and they they're training and they're doing it at this age because they want to you know and this is for a lot of riders the first time they've ever had the chance to see whether it's worth it or not you know yeah is that paying off or not or what do i have to do you know do i want this and they get to go to worlds and they get to be part of a team you know if you're australian that's your part of the team with chloe hosking and tiffany cromwell you know if you're if you're dutch you you know mariana voss and kirsten field and they get to wear that national jersey and they get to test themselves against the world and see how they're doing and go, is it worth it? I mean, of course, for some riders, it must be devastating if it's not. But it's just it's just that moment. You know, that that's what I look at. I look at them and go, wow, this is exciting. And if you're a Northern European rider, if you're British, you can nip. If you're Dutch, you're racing all the time. Dutch and Belgium, yep. you've got like tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of races you can do mad loads of races we've now got the junior women's world tour for the first uh for the uh sorry junior women's nation cup for the first year this year and 
But, you know, if you're British, you can go across and raise the junior energy water and the junior omelette van Borselet, and you can get a feel for that and the French yeah. and the Dutch and the Scandinavians. But for those young Australians and Canadians and Kiwis and Americans and Mexicans and Japanese riders. Yeah, where it's a this, little bit further afield to get to those those sort of races. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's just exciting. So, yeah, so... Um, and it's also fun because it's completely unpredictable. Because I have an eye, I know some riders that I do, you know, I've been doing, I went to the, the Energy Water last year and the year before, for example, stage race. So I know some of these riders' names, which makes me, you know, oh, I'm old enough to be their mum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're so adorable and so wonderful. Oh, look at the hope of the future. Um, you know, so I know, you know, but then there's like all these people. So, you know, like some of them, you can look at them and go, okay, well, yeah, I know that um, Clara Capone won the Trofeo da Moreno. Um, which is the women's uh, world tour, uh, the junior women's version of the world tour Trofeo Binder. Or, you know, or I look at them and I go, well, yeah, um, Susanna Anderson was on the podium of that one. And she was on the podium of the, of the, of the, of, the, of Hentwell Elgen, you yeah. know, junior Hentwell Elgen. Now, I know Juliette Labou is a national, was a national road, European junior road champion. And then there's names like Skyla Schneider of the USA, who, even though she's a junior, racing on junior gears, has been absolutely rocking the USA circuit, you know? Yeah. And you're yeah. like, wow. But I, but I don't know who Madeline Park is, you know, from Australia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know who, I don't know who the Spanish riders are. I don't know who Michaela Harvey from New Zealand is, or Lynette Benson from South Africa, or, you know, it, it's, it's really exciting, mm. you know? And you, and anyway, it was a really, 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 really good race. Um, early times, uh, uh, good, you know, good early times set by Francisca Blauser of uh, Germany and uh, Elena Peroni, who went out first, like the first rider to start, Italian rider, um, had the fastest time for ages and ended up 10th overall. But it was won by a Dutch woman, Carline Swinghals, with Italian Nisa Mozenti second and Juliette Labou of France in third, two Americans, Skylar Schneider and Hannah Arensman in fifth and sixth. Um, for Aussies, uh, sorry, so sixth was Blouse, seventh was Simona Egg, eighth was another Italian, uh, Alessa, Alessa Vigilia, ninth was Madeline Fasnacht of uh, Australia. Yep. Cool, cool. Um, so, oh, yeah, and, and, and I like Kiwis, Madeline Park, Madeline Park, Kiwi in 11th, and yes. Micah Bugard of Australia, of, of Look, I just want to say them all because yeah, you, you know do. I you know. Um, them all. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. Well, you've made friends with all their parents on Twitter by now, obviously, and, and <laughs> stuff, and and they're all listening and want to hear you say their kids' names. Um, I did like um, uh, Swinkle's interview where she pointed out that um, she did on her second day in Qatar, rode the course, and did every curve ten times to make sure she knew it perfectly. Um, oh, where did you see that? Oh, that was in the Cycling News um, uh, huh. write-up. Yeah, I was like, it was just a nice little detail that was like, yeah, yeah, I can get that. So. I really like that you have, you end up with like Mariana Voss going, wow, congratulations, that's an amazing start. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. To Caroline Kat, to to Swinkles. And uh, I saw her, at, she, I saw her at Gen Energy Water and she's a really strong sprinter and I think she wants to be, I can't remember if she wants to be Kirsten Beald or Ellen Van Dyke when she grows up. But yeah, and, and Juliette Labou, who came third, and she's a really strong rider, has just this lovely, lovely post-race interview. And it's interesting because Labou is going to go to um, uh, 
Liv Planter, she's already been signed. I think Lisa Mozenti has been signed to Astana. But Caroline Swinkles hadn't been signed yet because the Dutch have a policy of not signing first-year juniors uh-huh. um, before, before while, they're, while they're still juniors. So she was saying, yes, I hope, I hope people will be watching. <laughs> but, and... And it's sad. I mean, the thing that's sad is that I, you know, I was at the, I was at Worlds in Copenhagen and we went to the, with the wonderful Jens, who I can't thank enough for looking after me and being my Swanian mechanic and driver and guide. And we saw the, we saw the closing, the, the victory medal ceremonies and, you know, that kind of crowd, those crowd moments are really important, but there's like, you're basically getting your medals in front of no one, but it's adorable because the young girls didn't really know what to do on the podium. They're like, oh, oh, now you get up. Okay. Uh, now what happens? Oh, now you come in and have a, you know, we hug each, you know, we stand together. <laughs> but Caroline Swinkles, she was in tears. She was just completely broken up on the podium. She's just like crying and crying while they played the national anthem and just has her head in her hands. And there's this amazing photo from Velo Focus of her teammate, Micah Bugard, who's a lovely, lovely rider. I met her last year and she's awesome. But Micah Bugard, um, like standing with her hand over her mouth with that happy, teary, loving her teammate, just, oh. And then there's a photo of Clara Cone, young French rider, cheering her heart out for Juliette Lebou on mm. the podium. And it's just like, and there's a picture of, um, of, Caponi and Bugard waiting like like sitting with their legs out um in the bit of shade for you know this tiny bit of shade like chatting while they're waiting for them to cheer for their, their, their friends in the po- their teammates in the podium ceremony it's just like oh <laughs> I did have tears in my eyes when Caroline Swinkles was crying so much it was just like <laughs> oh my god yeah, yeah I was so emotional about the juniors so yeah it was just ah. Uh, beautiful racing and 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 the road race is going to be really really fantastic um i i had thought that susanna anderson the norwegian was my favorite to win actually but she was hit by a car in doha cycling back to her hotel after the itt oh this photo of her bike completely completely smashed up Mm -hmm. and carlina said she's lucky to be alive so yeah, which is, it's just awful though, I mean, yeah. Uh, I also just wanted to have a shout out to British Cycling, who didn't send any juniors to Wales this year. Thereby assuring their standard British Cycling result for junior women. No, 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 because British Cycling has fantastic juniors. No, no, like, no, I'm not saying they don't have good juniors, they never send them to anything is my point. No, I mean, well, I, I don't get it because because um jess roberts she's the little sister of amy roberts who rides for wiggle high five she's a really really fantastic itt right she's beaten she's beaten swinkles and and labu and all these riders in the junior omelette van borsolet you know she's it makes perfect sense to me from a fiscal point of view because as near as i can tell british cycling are using all the money that they would have spent sending junior women to the worlds on defending sky from something (laughs) <laughs> let's have an aside yeah this week there was this the daily mail if you're british you know the daily mail is not really a newspaper it's a it's a very right wing nasty it's a uh, murdoch paper so it's the fox news you. of papers yes so, yeah. but yes but it's got very good sports reporting now for some reason 
and this could be connected to the Murdoch. It, hang on, it can't be a Murdoch paper because they're really anti-Sky. Are you sure? Rothermere, I think. Isn't, okay. isn't, I'm going to have to look it up, sorry. Yeah. I just um, assumed because it was batshit insane. I think it's, Robert, so... I think it's Rothermere. No, no, but we have more than one. Just because you're exported Murdoch's the rest of the world, Daniel, doesn't mean you can have your, um, huh, your Australian show. We sent, him, we sent him back to you. <laughs> what, you mean that kind of criminal... I mean, you've got, to, you've got to. I mean, you have to have a certain level of respect for the sheer bastardry of the guy, who literally, when Britain tried to pass um, media ownership laws that restricted foreign ownership of the press, when asked for comment, literally just said, "Why do you think I flew my wife to London to have our second child?" Like... Right. The Daily Mail is owned by the Daily Mail and General Trust. It was first published by Alfred Harmsworth, first Viscount Norfolk, and his brother Harold Harmsworth, first Viscount Rothermere. Yeah, but who owns the Daily Mail Trust? It's Rothermere's. But now, like, still the Rothermere's? Okay. Jonathan Harmsworth. John, Jonathan Harmsworth, 4,000 Viscount Rothermere, great grandson of one of the co founders, is the current chairman and controlling shareholder of the Daily Mail and General Trust. Okay, okay. And is he, anyway, is he related to Boris Johnson or something? No, no. So they're very, very, so they're very, um, they're very anti Murdoch. And this could be one of the reasons why they're allowed to go after Sky, but their sports reporting, my friend Sivetta would be sitting there going, Oh, for Sarah, I've told you before, their sports reporting is really, really, really good. Yeah, they save their, um, they save their budget for reporters actually for sports reporting. Um, but they've um, yeah. but they've got um yes anyway they've been doing a lot if you hear of a um of a british cycling team sky um shocking story it's probably been broken by the mail yeah yep. and they had reported about they've after the fancy bears tue um therapeutic use exemption stuff for doping they had a report this week about how blah 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 as an aside simon cope I think we're talking 2012 or 2011. Simon Cope, who was then the uh, coach and for the women's women's British national team for British cycling, was sent on an adventure to go across to um, the Delphine deliver to the Dauphiné to deliver a packet of drugs, a medical package to Bradley Wiggins. He was flown into Switzerland. He got it off the plane. He took it. He, he, he got to, flew into Switzerland. I'm not entirely sure why you do this. It must be something to do with um, customs. But rather than go from Britain to, to the Dauphiné, he flew to Switzerland and then drove to France. And he said, oh, yeah. And when they were asked about this, he and British um, David Brailsford went, oh, no, no, he was going to meet Emma Pooley. And that's why he was there. Mm, mm. Which is problematic because Pooley was competing in Spain at the time. So... 700 miles away. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, I mean, to be fair, if it was Australia, we'd call that a day's drive. But, you know, Europe being Europe, that's like a four-month journey. So... Can I, can I, can I, read, can I read the quote? Yep. The only thing I know where, is where I was on June the 12th. I absolutely was not meeting anyone from British Cycling anywhere, certainly not like Simon Cope. I was at a stage race in Spain, losing the yellow jersey on a descent in the rain. I can distinctly remember it because it was a bit of a disaster. I looked up my old training diary to see if I'd forgotten or anything, and I've still got the flight numbers for how I got home. I got home around midnight, and I certainly didn't go to France. <laughs> and, I and- have 
I, I, I just want to make two observations at that point in time. One, how fucking badass is Pooley? And two, uh, Lizzie, that's how you keep a travel diary. Like, if you want to keep track of your whereabouts, do that. Like, yeah. I, I can't believe... I mean, it's... it's... I, I, I felt like it was... I don't know why they brought Emma Pooley's name into it. And it's really shitty because it's basically like, oh, well, I was coming with this medical package, but I was going to meet Emma Pooley mm. with a kind of... And I don't know if they intended it, but when I first read it and when other people on Twitter first saw it, they interpreted it as that as, and I was taking a medical package to Emma Pooley. Yes. It's absolutely not the case. Yeah. And it's just... And you're sort of going, hang on a minute, Team Sky... I mean, I know British Cycling and Team Sky are intertwined, but... And I know that, like, if you're the coach of the women's team, you've got, you're not spending 100% of your time. But holy shit, British Cycling, you're literally paying the coach of the women's team to well, to fly to Switzerland and drive to France with a medical package for Team Sky. I actually saw a comment <sighs> somewhere else um, where Cope himself apparently said in 2011, even though he was officially the coach of the women's team, he basically had nothing to do with the women most of that year. So... <gasps> Where did you see that? I'm trying to remember, but um, I'm. We'll put I, it in our blog post, yeah, yeah. prowomencycling.com. Yeah, so, I mean, it just gets worse and worse. And to sum up, like, Apuli's final um, two sentences, um, I think just really, really say, you know, when you're being questioned about something as important as this, you shouldn't just come out with guesses. And if it's an honest mistake, then he should be checking his facts. It doesn't matter to me. It just looks bad for them. It's at best silly and careless. And that's the thing. When the head of a governing organization at a national level can at best be said to be silly and careless, um, fucking people have been fired for a lot less. But you know, the other thing that I find really interesting about it is that they, if, okay, here's how you check. You know, I think I was going to meet Emma Pooley. Oh, but I don't know what she was doing that day. I know, I'll look on CK ranking. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not exactly hard to check. I mean, at the very least, just check I that she wasn't out. at a race. You know, that's... I, can exactly, I can find out if a rider was racing or not on a day. Any rider on any day back to, I think, 2006. Mm. Like, within, within, like less than i mean in in a couple of minutes max it's not hard and these are people who work in cycling professionally um she also said there was another thing that she had this is a really good cycling news interview she said she also there's this there's this investigation happening um about claims of sexism within british cycling there was a really mad thing where a guy the guy who used to be the head of british cycling said was casting aspersions on it because it's being run by three women right it's be, it's three women who are doing the investigation, and he's like, "Look, there's clearly something wrong with that." And you're like, "Huh, this is fascinating." Because every time British Cycling doesn't have any women at all, well, that's not sexist. But when there's only women, that must be sexist. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but gosh. anyway, but, but anyway, so they got this investigation, and she said um, she hasn't been contacted by the investigators, and she said. I know some people who were contacted. They were told that British Cycling had contacted everyone in their program over X number of years when she was in there. But I was contacted. I've since got in touch with the investigating panel on my own initiative. (laughs) 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 Oh, I love you, Emma Pooley, so much. (sighs) So, yeah. Um, Should we get on with the um, uh, ITT? Yeah, we probably should because, you know, otherwise we're running out of time, so... So ITT Women's ITT was on um, was yesterday on uh, on Tuesday. It was interesting because because it's a lap course. 
they're set up in groups of 10, four groups of 10. And so there was a very long time between the first group and the second, the first group and the second group um, and the third group and the fourth group. And this meant that the change, the conditions were really, really changeable. But it was also really fascinating in terms of who was in which group, because they started off with group one and Hannah Barnes. Oh, my God. So good. She was the leading rider from the first group doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. But then the second wave had Tripsy Warwick, who was pushing down smashing times, Annemiek van Blurten, and Amber Nieben. And Amber Nieben. I was just going to say, you know, excellent, excellent group for, um, you know, uh, being competitive for the overall, but also for giving us an indication of what the course was actually going to be like for the the top top finishes in the in the final group. Yeah, Amber Nieben. So first, so it's like you're sitting there going, oh, wow, Annemiek van Vleuten sets the fastest time. But like like the two riders after her is Amber Nieben, who smashed it. Um, she set a time of 36.37.04, and that was her. At the end of this wave two, it was Amber Nieben first, Annemiek van Vleuten, uh, Vleuten, Trixie Warwick third. Yep. The third wave was quite interesting because of the way they do it. There weren't that many big names, but one of the biggest names is Ellen van Dyke. And she... Uh, Ellen van Dyke, former uh, Amber Nieben was a 2008 ITT World Champion. Yep. Ellen van Dyke was the 2013 ITT Champion. Amber was fastest at the first split. Ellen was fa- fastest at the second split. Amber was fastest at the third split. Would Ellen make it? And there was this amazing well, split screen of Amber Nieben watching Ellen ride, like with her hands over her mouth. Like, oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, she yeah. said she spent more energy watching. Ellen ride than she did actually riding her own race. Yeah, but yeah. Ellen came in five seconds slower and than Neiden. I was going to say the back and forth um, as they went through the checks too was incredibly tiny. You know, Ellen was down by four seconds, then up by four and then down by one. And then, you know, for like a big section, she was, you know, literally they were sitting on the exact same time and it was just intense racing. Yeah. And then in the last group, in the last wave, you had the top, you know, the, the, the 10. And basically what they do is is if you're the top 10, you know, they, they do it by nation order, by your nation ranking. Except that if you're the Dutch and you've got like 8 million great riders, you have one in the first wave, one in the second yeah. wave, one in the third wave, etc., etc. So this was technically going to be some of the top riders. And this had riders like um, uh, 2015 world champion Annemiek van Vleuten, uh, Olympic silver medalist Olga Zabelinskaya, Olympic bronze medalist Anna van der Brega, uh, Kasia Paola, uh, Alina Amianusik, um, Katrin Garfett of Australia, the, the Oceania champion, Carmen Small of the USA. And as they were crossing the checkpoint, no one could hit Nabin's time at the beginning. Hmm. And then the question was, well, is it going to be Nabin van Dijk or van Leuten? But you're sitting there and first Zabelin Skyer is third fastest and then Garfoot is third, third fastest and then Zabelin Skyer is third fastest and then Garfoot is third fastest. Ended up with Nieben Gold, Van Dyke Silver, Garfoot Bronze, fourth mm. Olga Zabelin Skyer, fifth Annemiek van Vluten, sixth Lisa Blenauer, seventh Trixie Warwick, both from Germany, eighth Anne-Sophie Doik from Belgium, ninth Kasia Pawlowska, the scratch world champion, tenth Alina Amilusik, eleventh Lotta Lepisto, she's a sprinter, wow. what the fuck, she's not supposed to be doing that, that's yeah, amazing, twelfth yeah. Carmen Small, 13th Anna van der Brega, 14th Hannah Barnes, amazing, 15th Eleanor Cicchini, 16th Emilia Forlin, 17th Julia Lett, 8th, 18th Ashley Milman Pasco, 19th uh, Caroline Canowell, and 20th Cecilie Utrecht Ludwig of Denmark. Yeah, yeah. 
um it was it was super interesting i think one of the things that was definitely obvious on the well not obvious maybe but clear on the day was that um uh most riders really um faded in that final section and i think that's what made the difference we saw you know like zavalin skyer for example really really fell off in that final segment um you know, but even even so, she wasn't very far off in terms of time. But just going from from how she... she was earlier in the splits to to how she finished. Um, I also want to pay tribute to Kat Garfoot because um, two for two reasons. One, um, from memory, this is breaking a seventeen year drought uh, for an Australian woman on the podium in the ITT. So congrats oh. to Kat for that. But also, secondly, in classic Aussie fashion, when um, she was interviewed after the results were finalised, <laughs> classic Aussie fashion, she went, yeah, third, that's that's good to build on for next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kat Garford, if you don't know, she's 35. She was um, German-born, married in Aussie, moved to Australia. She's only been cycling for like four years, racing for four years. This is her second full season as a, as a, as a, as a pro. She was one of the favourites for the Olympic ITT, but she was very, very sick. And when she went to Rio, she hadn't raced since mid-June because she'd been sick all summer. So she had a really disappointing Rio. But she said she, she, she started off the race with like a, um, a pair of tights filled with ice wrapped around her. Yep. And there's this great little video interview with Felix Mattis where she talks about the different things that the um, Aussie team did to keep her cool. You know, they, they were throwing water on her. They yeah. She did her warm-up. She, she was waiting in the toilet because they found the men's toilet was the coldest place that they could find in the warm-up space. And, yep, yep. and all of this, all of these all of these amazing things. Oh, but, yeah, great, she was... Did you see the slow-mo video that um, Jesse Braverman got of them yes. throwing water on her? Um, that yes. was quite cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so... And so it was like, it was really, you know, I mean, Aussies are used, Aussies, so all the Aussies are used to the heat. She's not a born Aussie who's grown up with the heat, you know. And well, uh, she also, also said... Also, um, but when we say we're used to the heat, we're not idiots, though. Like, when we say we're used to the heat, we mean we're used to actually dealing with the heat, you know, doing things like finding the coldest room possible and staying in it for as long as possible or throwing <laughs> water over ourselves or wrapping ice-filled um, pairs of leggings, which, by the way, I may or may not be doing as a sleeping aid this summer. So, Which, or, 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 and we all know what actually Dan's real thing for dealing with the heat is, is that when you're drinking your beer, making sure you're drinking lots of water at the same time and making sure your beer's really cool in the cooler. What? No, you just drink, like slightly lower strength beer no you you drink anyway um <laughs> I, you alternate a pint of beer and a pint of water they put a lot of water in the beer the water's already in there oh, oh we're talking about australian beer i understand yes sorry um <laughs> so um but garfoot also said you know what you were saying about them the fading on the last third and she said in the interview with felix mattis that they this is what people had told her you know that they're fading on the last third so make sure you save something she said i was actually doing when i got to the last third i was waiting to start failing but i was actually feeling really really good so i had more to give <laughs> <laughs> i want to give a shout out to ellen van dyke because she was so so disappointed with her silver mm. like in a very ellen way like not like uh, in a kind of uh yeah you know it's silver i should be proud of that but i really wanted gold you know not not like stamping her foot and, yeah, and storming yeah. off but just in a in a in a in a typically ellen uh yeah um honest an honest way i guess 
and on the podium she just looked devastated and in in the interviews she just looks she just looks oh and she had such a bad year because of course she spun off the course in the olympic ttt just before the first climb which was you know user error but gutted for her but i think her interview is so good Mm. just because she's She's being philosophical about it, and she's smiling, laughing about it, and she's d- d- talking about going on to the next race. And I have so much respect for her. Um, yeah, absolutely. Also, I do just have to throw out there, like, um, American time trialists in their 40s? Like, fucking hell. Kristen Armstrong at the Olympics, Amber Nevin at Worlds. Like, amazing. I, I just... Yeah. It's just such a... Amber Nevin... Like, can I just give you the thumbnail of Amber Nebbin's life? Please okay. do. As a toddler, she had spiral meningitis and was in a coma for three days. And doctors said she wouldn't live, but she did. She was a really good runner as a teenager, went to university on a running scholarship, but multiple stress fractures stopped her running. So she started bike racing in uni and became a bike racer. She, um, I don't know which order is in, it, what order she go, it goes in because it's so much madness. She was doing really, really well. She got um, a doping ban because she said i've no idea where it's come from it's not me i think it must be tainted supplements uh, north american cast said yes yes it's tainted supplements and gave her a reduced ban and she sued the supplement manufacturer which either means that it's genuine or she's really evil um <laughs> i think it's genuine um she had skin cancer which she said is the doctor said because she wasn't wearing suntan cream under her jersey and even though she was wearing a jersey the thin material meant that the skin yep. could still affect her so she had to have treatment for skin cancer she was the road world she was the itt world champion in 2008 she was the uh team time trial world champion with htc high road in 2012 uh she has been fighting and fighting to get a spot at world championships because you know the usa cycling it's all politics blah 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 this was a really big deal for her and yeah and she's and she won again it's it's yeah she's 41 years old yeah. she's got a phd in some kind of sciencey thing um just it's... extraordinary yeah life. Like... like you sit there going you're only 41 like yeah <laughs> what's just, next just, just keep your eye out for her curing some amazing thing or inventing some important I don't know, space travel thing or something. Or going to the moon or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then the, the inevitable competition for the biopic um, of her life or, or whatever. I mean, just amazing. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, so that's Worlds. That's, that's Worlds. <sighs> Next uh, road race is coming up. Uh, junior road race is on Friday, I think. And um, okay, let's have a look. elite race on um, Saturday, let's... I believe. Yes, junior women are on uh, Friday Elite Race on Saturday. Now, uh, the junior race, um, it's so amazing that it's being streamed this year because last, like in previous years, we haven't seen anything. We've had no updates. It's been awful. It was fantastic because the junior streams were thrown open to the world, unge-restricted. You can watch them anywhere in the world. It's fantastic. So please, 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 if you have a chance, watch the juniors, junior women racing because they're, um, they're, they're really wonderful, talented, amazing young riders. Look, I'm going to get tearful again because, wow, I'll be amazing. Oh. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, oh, so good. They're so young and they're the future. Oh, they're look the future, at you pinching their, pinching their virtual cheeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, being, the, being their mom. And, yeah, are you eating enough? Uh, yeah, they start racing at 8.30 a.m. Saturday, mo- Friday morning, which is 6th, uh, which, sorry, 
which is 6.30 a.m. British summertime. I'm actually going to have to get up to watch that. 7.30 a.m. for Europe, um, 4.40, um, 4.30 for Australia. Um, the women race on Saturday, that's 12.45 local time, which is 10.45 in the morning British summer time, 11.45 European time, 5.45 in the morning, so sorry, Americans, and 8.45 at night Australian time. Dan, that's perfect for you. Uh, it, 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 very much, it very much is, so I'm looking forward to it, and live streaming, um, well, I think we all know how I feel about that, uh, broadly in favour of more of it, always. So, yes. yes. Uh, if you want to see the videos and the photos and the articles and things, go to our site, prowomenscycling.com, and you can also find out where to watch things. All right. So quickly take me around the world of cyclocross. What's, uh, what's the deal there? Cyclocross has started. The deal is that, oh, my God, we've got more TV coverage than ever this year. Like actual um, local broadcast TV or local broadcast plus live streaming TV? Local broadcast, plus live streaming, plus if you're in Britain, TV on your TV station with English commentary from a from Bike TV channel. Oh, wow. Now, this is amazing. Yeah. It's really exciting. What we've had, we've had a growth in cyclocross. When I first started watching cyclocross, so let's say I started watching cyclocross in, I don't know, um, 2009, 2010, something like that. When I first started watching, if you could get a little clip on the sports uh, of two minutes at the end of the race, you were lucky. Mm, yeah. Mm. That's uh, you. And that was just, just the way of the world. And I wish I could see more, but I, I can't. And first the UCI started putting streams of the world cups on their YouTube unrestricted. Well, except for America because cycling.tv buys them. I'm so sorry, Americans. Um, they put all the women's races up and that was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Then, Last year, Sportser put all the women's races of the um, what was then the Post Bank Trophy. This year is the Eisbook um, Ladies Trophy, which is part of the Dave Bay Trophy, um, Post Bank Trophy. That, that's the one that it is. They put up every race of those. And because people liked it so much and the ratings were so high, they started adding the Sudal Classics and any other cyclocross they could get their hands on. Mm. So out of the three big in cyclocross there are three big series as the world cup which isn't necessarily the best races the bay post the dvv eisbork um eisberger um which has some fantastic races including koppenberg cross oh my god koppenberg cross i'm so excited for you koppenberg cross please be my friend um and then the third one is the super prestige and the super prestige was disappointing because they had less highlights last year than ever before but this year some of the women's races are going to be streamed live as well oh cool, cool. so <laughs> we're so, gonna get so there's Don a lot Hoven, there for cross fans so a lot there more than we've ever had before and this is very 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 exciting um the first Donahoven, which is just phenomenal this is the one that takes place in a sand pit um like a ruthlessly steep sand pit so they have to cycle down this enormously steep sand quarry then they cycle up the other side then they cycle down it again and cycle up the other side of it that's one on sunday and it's going to be live wow okay cool cool so this is really good news we've had so the season started we've had the first round of the um of the super prestige in the heaton heaton no 
which was Keaton. I'm, I'm, uh, which was yes, it was the first round of the Super Prestige. That was won by Sana Kant. We've also had the sec- first round of the Eisbürger Trophy, which was won by uh, a current cyclocross world champion in her first race of the season, Talita de Jong, with Sana Kant second and Sophie de Boer third. Over in the States, we've got some amazing cyclocross. We've just had the Charm City Cyclocross in Baltimore. Two days of great racing, both won by Katie Compton. There's tons of video, tons of media. I've got a guide on our site for how to watch all of the different cyclocross. It also includes, if you're new to cyclocross, why you should watch it. A little bit of information about it, even a glossary of Dutch words. So go to our site, prowomenscycling.com, and I'll put links in the podcast post like I always do. Cool, cool. So I'm so happy. Um, other things that made me happy, we had the last round of the Enduro World Series, uh, mountain bike enduro racing. It's over two days. It has multiple different co- multiple different races within the competition that all add up to an overall prize. And it's a mix between downhill and cross country, and they actually ride from stage to stage. It was in Ligure, which is gorgeous and beautiful, and I want to go there. Every time I see a, a mountain bike race, I think, oh, my God, this is gorgeous and beautiful. I want to go there. And uh, one by Cecilia Ravenel, who won the whole series. Lots and lots of video, lots of photos. But my favourite mountain bike thing for the last couple of weeks is the Red Bull Fox Hunt. Right. Um, well, I mean, you're British, so, of course, and you're a toff. So, of course, you love fox hunting. The Red Bull Fox Hunt is a mass participation event that anyone can enter. And this is the women's version where... A whole ton of women start at the top of a big, 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 big hill wearing um, jerseys that look like fake fox hunter clothes. And they start first and a pro rider, in this case, Rachel Atherton, starts a certain amount of time after them. And what she has to do is to get down to the bottom before any of the hunters do. (laughs) So she's got to pass them and beat them, like pass them all. Yeah, it's going to pass them all, like this massive... And it's so lovely. It's like the event is set up so that on the day before, you get to have a little bit of a skills clinic with Rachel Atherton telling you how to ride. You know, then they all get to, like, practice on the difficult bits and to kind of practice the runs. And you've got Rachel Atherton telling you what you should do better. And it's just... And she's really into this. And this is some riders who might go on to be pros in the future but other yeah. riders who just want to do it for fun you know like yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're a bit rubbish but it looks like an amazing yeah, event well, hell, fun, go? yeah exactly get a bunch of your friends together and and yeah and have some great stories at the end of it that would be awesome and they have things like in the morning before they do some yoga and because they were having problems with, I think it was the cable car or the or the or the you know the ferrying backwards and forwards up the hill. You've got a picture of Rachel running up the hill with her bike over her shoulder because it's just going to be easier than waiting for, <laughs> to be to be transported uh, with a load glamour, of women. The glamour of the pro life, huh? <laughs> yeah, and um, of course, this being Rachel Atherton, she helmet canned her run, so you've got her kind of starting, and she does all the yippee, asking people to move out of her way. She sadly punctured this time, so she's riding down with a puncture, and as she rides, all the all the like all the women are going, go Rachel, go Rachel, yay Rachel. <laughs> so it's kind of like this really adorable thing, and you get to the end, and she's riding down in her rainbow jersey downhill world champion and all these women at the end are just absolutely stoked that they've beaten Rachel Atherton and they're just like oh my god and she's like yes and it's just it's just glorious and happy and 
You know, it's just like a lovely, 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 lovely events. Yeah. Oh, you know, she's riding down behind the back and going, take off your brakes, take off your brakes, it'll be fine, take off your brakes, take off your brakes. <laughs> Ride through it, see the landing. <laughs> and she's just, it's just, it's just adorable. And there are so many lovely photos and there's so many, and I literally watched this and smiled and smiled. So I was talking about this on Twitter and I've never been on a mountain bike and I have been banned from going on a mountain bike because of how dangerous it is. But I think I'm going to try and go on a mountain no, bike. No, no, you are 100%. If I find out any of you people lend Sarah a mountain bike, I, there will be consequences. Sarah is forbidden from mountain bikes. That is a worldwide I'm forever go- ban. Sarah is not allowed ride mountain bikes. If you facilitate her mountain bike trialing, even if you are Rachel Atherton, there will be consequences. No, Sarah is not allowed on mountain bikes. I'm going to try mountain biking, I think. Uh, no. If you know of any woman in Bristol, no. in the Bristol area of Britain, who would like to try no. mountain biking with someone who's fat and useless no. and old, Sarah is me. not allowed on mountain bikes. It's just, it's that simple. Why? No, it's too dangerous. Too dangerous. Not just for you, for everyone, including the mountain. It's just too dangerous. No, no, forbidden. And I'm, to be fair, I'm not the only one who's banned you from mountain bikes. I mean, it's not like it's not like I'm in the minority here. People in the know, no, Sarah is not allowed on mountain bikes. I'm going to try mountain biking, and if you have any friends who'd like to go mountain biking with me, then you know, and try it as well. <laughs> or, or more accurately, because... or more accurately, enemies. <laughs> well, one of my best one of my best friends is a paramedic, so you know, I feel like maybe I could unveil her to come with me. But yes, yeah, so, um, all these things are some lovely, lovely videos. Um, should we, should we finish should we finish on the secret pro the secret pro see how they yeah see how they put the pun in the name because i love puns they're the best they're great um actually let's just have some more news um <laughs> i'm gonna be putting up a guest blog on the website tomorrow from lovely lovely peter van der Veen because we've heard today we've heard this week that there is going to be a women's tour de france yeah, which is um, interesting, um, and I'm very, very curious to hear more about exactly how that's going to work. Also, um, timing-wise, uh, this is going to be problematic for Turingen. Yes, on the one hand, this is amazing news. We've been asking for a multi-stage race by by for the Tour de France. Fans, riders, teams, sponsors, TV companies, everyone has wanted a women's Tour de France for ages. And it's going to be amazing. It is groundbreaking and game-changing just because the brand Tour de France is something that people who don't know anything about cycling know what Tour de France means. Mm. Yeah, We used to have a women's Tour de France. It was stopped a women's Tour de France is what we want. And we want more than just look course. The course is incredibly small, short race, and we want more. We want it to be a proper race. So we don't know much about this. The reason we know it's going to happen, though, is because Turing and Runfoot have just been told now, oh, by the way, there's going to be a women's Tour de France, so you might want to move. Yeah. Which, Which is sucky. Not the, not the greatest the, way to handle it, you know. Turing and Runfoot is a decade-long race week-long race very 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 well organized very well loved race in east germany and on the one hand i think it's not a problem to ask turingen to move yeah i think i think the tour de france is so important that i'm down with asking turingen to move i'm fine with that you know i know some people aren't but i'm fine with that because i think in terms of what it means for the sport and what can it can help the sport which will help turingen in the future that's fine however 
it's shitty this year that they haven't been told because now they can't move. And this happened to them the first year that the course happened, where, where it was sprung on them and it clashed. And now it's looking like the second one will, will, will spring yeah. on them and clash. Yeah. And it's and, and that's and, and that's, that's, that's exactly that's that's my issue with it as well is that it doesn't sound like it's been communicated um, early enough or. Um, in such a way that Turingen has time or opportunity to make arrangements around that. And so, you know, that is very messy and unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, we are, I am very, 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 very happy that the Tour de France, there's going to be a Women's Tour de France. I'd like to see what it's going to be. I am unhappy that it's been communicated badly because, well, you know, this is, is not that, the first time and we should know better. Look, I've I've got some um, some potential inside information i haven't had opportunity to verify it but because we're responsible journalists i'm sure people will just trust me when i can say so far i've heard that there'll be an invitational time trial um no that and and then there'll be um that'll be on the same day as a mass sportif of course with no tv coverage and the last riders will get pulled so that the sportif can finish so i think that's the basic outline no, you, you didn't want to finish on a tour of California, Joe? No. No, okay. I mean, this is going to be run by the ASO, and this is also very important. And we've also heard that the ASO is also going to be having Liège, Baston, Liège for women too. Mm. And again, Dwarf's daughter, Westhook, the um, a, a Dutch day race, is having to move for that. And again, I know that some people are unhappy about this, but I think that Dwarf's daughter, Westhook, isn't one of the top uh, women's racers. It's sad that they have to move... But, you yeah. know, yeah, what's best like for the, the sport and the riders and the sponsors, and we've said this before, that in growing the sport, it's like if we ever have a proper pro layer of, of teams with, with minimum wage, some teams will fold. Yep. And I'm, if the sport is moving on, some sacrifices have to be made. Again, I just wish that these things were communicated better. You know, it's yeah, it's exactly, just... exactly. And, and, yeah, all jokes aside, I mean, absolutely, it's it's one of those things that... Um, as you say, the the prominence of of these bigger names. I mean, we we nearly have a full set, um, you know. And and it's crazy to me that in the course of like three weeks, we've gone from literally sitting on this this very podcast and joking, oh, you know, soon they'll all the other races will be there and it'll just be putting pressure on on Roubaix. And we're actually basically in that situation now. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, literally a couple of weeks ago, we we're saying, you know, we we're talking about it when, you know, about um, about uh, Amstel Gold having a women's race, yeah, and talking about, yeah, this is going to put pressure on the UCI. But the UCI, are, you know, now we might, if you know, if if we if they have if they have Liège, then they're going to have to have Roubaix. Roubaix is getting every one of these steps is a step closer to Roubaix, and again, Roubaix will clash with a women's race, and that's very unfortunate for the women's race that it clashes, but. In the men's calendar, you have we deal with clashes. You can have yep. Teleno Adriatico on at the same time as I'm going to embarrass myself. Paris Nice, um, you know, you can have races on at the same. T- you can have two world tour races on at the same time, even. And I think that's going to be the future. We used to have this with the women's races as well. Yep. You know, yep. we used to have, for example, the Rabister Zoysia Islanden for sprinters at the same time as the Giro del Trentino for climbers. You know, we coped with it. It's actually a really good thing. It expands Absolutely. the chances to win. Absolutely. It expands the sport. So, and, and look, the more, the more proper world tour races, the better opportunity it also gives us for um, smoothing out that middle pathway so that, as we, we talked about, you can have your top-tier elite teams with guaranteed minimum wages, but you've also 
also still got room for pro Conti teams who can ride these these other races, um, you know, and and know that they can be competitive in those races. And so, you know, you it is literally how you develop the sport and you create opportunities for riders to grow and develop as well as create um, amazing, spectacular races uh, for the very best showcasing of the elite end of the sport. So, yeah. Yes. Should we talk about the Secret Pro this week or should we talk about it next week? Oh, look, we're already over the hour. Let's just get it done. Okay, the Secret Pro. Um, Ella Cycling Tips had a Secret Pro man, um, a rider talking about like what was going on in the peloton and kind of giving away secrets, comedically edged, I think. Um, uh, Aussie, Aussie aimed at the Aussie market, so kind of a lot of sarcasm and stuff. They've just started the Secret Pro, which is the, uh, the women's equivalent, and this one is about uh, off-season, Doha World's contract season. I think it's very... The thing that I found first really interesting about it was they talked about how everyone starts their off-season at the same time, but this year, with world champions being so late, they've been split into... There's girls... There's riders who have suited the course, but who haven't actually wanted to be selected. <laughs> <laughs> And they say um, having worlds so late means you can have a later off season and less time to get fit and going for the next year, and <laughs> and it's a shit course and it's well, not the sprinters. Yeah, well that and also I think the other the other telling bit that's not directly drawn closely there, um, but in the opening paragraph, um, the off season four weeks of feeling normal, catching up with friends and family, eating shit food, drinking wine, and going on vacation. Yeah, I, I, I can understand why some writers wouldn't want to cut that four weeks down to two. And <laughs> so. um, there also talks about the rumor mill and uh, where's everyone going. And so they're talking about. I like the bit about posting the Instagram photo of yourself wearing a Canyon Shram helmet is a big bit of a giveaway, Pauline Framvo. Though, but thanks for confirming the rumors before the announcement. Yeah, so they're yeah. talking about a lot of how a lot of teams are changing, and it feels like a lot of riders with they got lots of. Um, things going on things going on there and they talk about what it feels like to be um to be out to be part of the team to be to, to be without contract yep. but yes it's um and also that sort of natural kind of chaos that comes off the back of an olympic year you know we talk about it a lot in context of races but it is um well pointed out in in the article that um, it often leads to that for riders as well because, you know, uh, you're resetting goals, you're um, possibly looking to change teams or thinking about retirement uh, and stuff like that. So, you know, there is a fair bit of upheaval, um, perhaps more than, than most years. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there was one bit I wasn't sure about, well, if I'm honest. This is one bit I really didn't think was in good taste. So there's one bit, because, um, like Italy, who has a two-time... Other countries don't have such a clear sprinter for Worlds, like Italy, which has two-time world cha- road champion Giorgio Bronzini, but also Barbara Gurishi, who's another Italian sprinter, brackets, and who used to be Bronzini's girlfriend. So I don't know what it's like between the two of them now. Close brackets. Mm. Which... You have feelings about this. Oh, look, it just it just read to me as a bit off-colour. Like, it just seemed unnecessary. I get the I get the idea of... Um, poking a bit of fun and being a bit cheeky and stuff. But, um, you know, and if that had been a recent breakup and and perhaps slightly public or something, I could understand it, but it's not. 
and well, they've, well, they've been they've been broken for years, and if yeah, you follow exactly. George Bronzini, it's pretty clear who her girlfriend is now. Like, you don't have to look very far. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but, and, but, but at the same time, they're also professionals. So, you know, to me, it just felt like a bit of a reach, and and at a reach for salaciousness that it didn't need to reach for, you know. Whereas I thought yeah. that I, I thought the following joke about Lizzie Armistead was much better. Like, you know. Um, and then also the one about the the Dutch, you know, also good. But yeah, I I just want to say a thing about gay women in the peloton because sometimes people come to me, like especially young lesbians on Tumblr, saying, "Are there any gay riders?" Because I don't know who I really want to cheer for a gay rider, but I don't know who they are. And it's fascinating to me because I could think of like probably twelve or thirteen um, gay or bisexual women riders without even thinking about you know without even breaking sweat however that's it's it's an interesting thing because it's not that they're hidden or they're not out it's that they're so throughout they're out the other side it's like in my life i don't say i'm gay all the time i just um you know i live with my wife we've been married for a partner for 10 years and we've been together for a really long time and i don't but you don't talk about it because it's just part of your daily life. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You, it's not yeah, because yeah. you're hiding it. It's because, well, I'm a pro and I don't talk about this in these yeah. contexts. And, and it's just a normal. It's just a normal thing. Like it's not a. It's yeah. Not a, not and yeah, and there's tons of writers who, you know, who you hear. Oh, yeah, I know that they've broken up or they're going out with each other, and and it's not that they're being. And, and you have to be quite careful, a little bit careful, because obviously, being openly gay sports people get a lot of abuse because. You know, women sports people get a lot of abuse, you know, and gay people get a lot of abuse on, on online and stuff. So you've got to be a bit careful about it. But and also some sponsors aren't madly happy about it. But equally, you have like Trixie Warwick, for example, who when she was at at, at, at com, so Dutch, they had the Q&A of, you know, where they asked each rider, what's your ideal person like? Yeah. And they asked it as what's your ideal man slash woman and if a rider said, oh, she's like this, or oh, he's like this, and they asked the same question to the men or women, if the rider specified, then they'd change it to what's your ideal woman. Yeah. If a rider didn't specify, it was left as man slash woman, which was awesome. And, you know, she was very clear that she was, that, you know, that, that, she lived with her, that she lived with her partner. Yeah. And, and then you have riders like Georgia, who, if you look on her Twitter, there's no, there's no hiding it. There's no yeah, yeah. keeping it a secret. It's just that you don't, and I don't talk about it, and I find it quite interesting because I, but then I also don't talk about who straight riders are going out with. You know, I might say, oh yeah, yeah Lizzie Armitstead's now Lizzie Danan because she's got married. So, oh my God, I'm never going to remember it. Yeah, but it's. Yeah. Exactly, it's, you know, we've and, and we've actually talked about that previously, um, you know, for example, when writers do get married, about whether or not we even mention it, you know, because, yeah. you know, it's not really directly related to racing, but it's also kind of a notable moment, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. But, yeah, exactly, it falls into that sort of grey area of, you know, like it might be known, it might be, it might be well known, but is it really relevant? And... Yeah, and, yeah. and also, but there's also a thing about when you out people against their will. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. there's no, you're never going to get any hassle for someone saying, "Oh, yeah, she's got a boyfriend," you know, but oh, he's got a boyfriend. You know, we don't know any gay men riders. You know, yeah. like this is the thing. Like, like there's even teams where you joke that they're predominantly gay teams and predominantly straight teams. And there's things that you read and, and clues that you see if you know what you're looking for. And there's 
there's just you know i mean we know that you aren't for example um race at the gay games um you know was an ambassador for the gay games for example there's no heart you know she's living with her partner with with her partner um anna wilson in australia and it's awesome i guess what i'm saying is i i think you i just it's not that their riders riders are hiding it i think it's like almost that you don't need to you know it's, it's just yeah. it's just so much part of their daily life and that they're not talking they don't you know some riders talk a lot about oh my my boyfriend my boyfriend or whatever other riders say nothing at all and mm. suddenly you realize that they've got children yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway that's, that's just kind of, yeah it just kind of it stood out to me for all of that just because basically that made it not ring true it just felt forced it just you know it was like a reach for a joke that wasn't really there and you know. oh, well, i think the other thing is is that is that is that bronzini and guru i mean the thing is as well is that the italian national team is very 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 good at riding teamy yeah. i've never heard of a problem between bronzini and guru no, and they've been no. you know i think this is the other thing it's like it's been so long ago it's been a couple of years ago that it's that they, that they split up that it's kind of like a it's kind of odd but anyway i don't know who the secret pro is you know the secret pro could be uh, no it's not georgia bronzini because it's absolutely not her style but you know <laughs> the secret pro could, could be their best friend and they okayed it you know they yeah, could have helped yeah, her yeah. write it in a in exactly. a hotel room and i guess that's i guess that's an interesting thing you know and i've, I've never seen the man's secret pro well, talk from, about from that point of view too i guess we've also got to pay tribute to the simple fact that it worked because here we are talking about it so <laughs> yeah yeah click that. congratulations congratulations <laughs> on the cycling tips as usual you have yeah. and and you know and and, and i know that the, i know that janine laundry and 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 um and Anna Maria, Anna Maria rook are awesome women who you know who, who would who wouldn't yeah you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't be doing this as a you know in a negative way oh, yeah, as well yeah, that's the other thing i want to give absolutely absolutely shout out to janine and um anna marie and to shane stokes who writes for ella you know they're they're all they're people with tons of integrity who i yeah. have utmost respect for so and and love the sport and love the people in it you know absolutely yeah Okay, Saturday's the road races. Next week, we'll tell you all about the road races. Go to my blog, pro, our blog, sorry, prowomenscycling.com. Talk to us on Twitter if you have any problems, trying to find world coverage if you want to know who I think is going to win. Listen to last week's podcast. But um, <laughs> go to our blog, prowomenscycling.com. Remember, Mariana Voss has never raced in Qatar before. True. Um, you can chat to Sarah on Twitter at underscore pigeons underscore. Uh, don't chat to me. I'll just be rude to you. Um, you can also Stan W official and he's lovely. You can also go to patreon.com slash women's cycling and um, contribute modestly and on an ongoing basis to help keep Sarah in the well tea basically is what she uses to fuel all of the tea. work she does so um she she needs tea, tea. tea no less she needs tea um yes. she's british she can't survive without it um it's actually more true than you know i can never come to australia because you won't have proper tea you say that like it's a bad thing at least we've got proper beer here anyway on that happy note <laughs> um, stay cool look after yourself lots of love to you all and thank you as always for your support bye